Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 221. And today we're talking to Sevene Selassie, uh, who was on the podcast about a year ago to talk about her book, You Belong. Uh, she's a meditation teacher, and I brought her on the show this week because I had some really specific questions I wanted to ask her regarding some things I'm wrestling with in my own life. And so in this episode, I really try to be super vulnerable with her, but also with you, and really give you a look into my heart and my mind and my soul uh, in terms of some things that I'm really wrestling with, like in my, in my regular life. Uh, real quick kind of overview, my daughter just went back to, went to school, uh, kindergarten. Never, like for five years, she's been home with us. And so this is a huge life transition for all of us. And I've really been struggling with living in the moments that I have with her because so much of my mind feels like it's preoccupied with thinking about like the regrets. Like I should have been more present when she was two or when she was three or whatever, and I'm never going to get those moments back or preoccupied with tomorrow, right? That this moment that I have now, kindergarten, and it's only it's only a year before I know it. She's going to be in first grade and second grade. So my mind goes to tomorrow and planning and thinking about about the next thing that's coming. And when you live your life like that, it's hard to live in the present when your mind is always thinking about yesterday and tomorrow. So I want to talk to you about that, about mindfully living in the present moment uh, in in real everyday life. And then also I asked her to help me process a piece of my. Uh, evangelical baggage that has recently come up that I feel like is really holding me back in this season of my life. And I wanted to ask Sebene these questions because she is such a thoughtful and wonderful human being. And she's just so full of, of grace and kindness and wisdom. And I just felt like for whatever reasons, of all the people I could talk to about these things, I felt like Sebene was the one. And the things I talk about, I feel like a lot of you wrestle with similar things, even if it's in like in a different context. And so I thought it would be great for me to have this conversation in a more public way uh, so that we could all benefit from the wisdom uh, that Sevene has to share. So I'll put all of her links in the show notes. Also in the show notes, uh, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show uh, financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you in your faith, uh, those are two places to go to support the show. And also to find community because that's what Patreon's about. Whether you give $3 a month, $100 a month, uh, everybody gets entrance into a community where we have uh, Zoom hangouts, we have a Discord chat group and all sorts of different ways to meet people and get to know people and make friends out here in the wilderness uh, or the middle of the ocean, the raging sea that we're in of questions and doubts and all those different kinds of things. So anyway, all the links are in the show notes, but... Uh, all that to say, I'm going to be quiet. Uh, this is episode number 221 with my friend Seven A Selassie. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. This mind don't buy no play by the rules. I'm going to make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is all right. All right. 
contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight. Under pressure, feel the walls are moving and it's getting tight. Getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real. I hope it lands on something good. I'm all in for the kill. kill. Sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary. I'm here for the thrill. Decisions on top of decisions like I chose a pill. The bottle getting kind of empty. Temptations made us presence in the air. It's kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention. Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I mention? Looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So today we're sitting down with our friend 7A Celestia. And for our listeners, uh, you may remember 7A from an episode that we recorded last uh, summer about her book called You Belong. Uh, it's an excellent read, by the way. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And I'm a bit biased, but I think it was a good podcast episode too. So go buy the book, listen to the episode. But Sebene, welcome back to the podcast. It's an honor to talk with you and uh, interact with your work. It's been very helpful for me. So thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, real quick, are you working on any new books or anything you can speak about? Can we expect some more long form writing from you down the road? Or are you really focusing on your newsletter and, and things like that? Yeah, for right now, I'm focusing on my newsletter. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas percolating, but I don't have anything that I want to commit to Gotcha. Um, yet. I'm working on um, developing an online course that cool. hopefully will come out later this fall. Yeah, so that's sort of the longer project I'm on right now. Gotcha. Now, do you do like ongoing recordings with 10% Happier or do you like do... Do you have like more things coming up with them or is it just like whenever they need you? How does that work? I was curious. Yeah, I have uh, some new meditations that I'm working on that okay. I'll be recording um, at the beginning of October. And, you know, I took a, a break from doing anything with them because I, I had a recurrence of cancer this past year. So I've been pretty much focused just on my healing. I was pretty sick, um, unfortunately, but miraculously, I'm doing much, much better. So yeah, happy to be back. Well, that's good. And I'm glad you're feeling better. And uh, again, thank you for making time to come and visit me. Thank you. So uh, I want to do something a little bit different today than I normally would do. And we, we've talked about it already, but I want to ask you some questions that I'm wrestling with uh, in my own in my own life as I strive to be what I've been calling a more complete human being. And just to kind of give our conversation some, some direction, I'll, I'll kind of state them up front. Uh, but number one, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of the topic of mindful living in the present moment, uh, especially when your mind is distracted by, by all sorts of things. And that's a question that's being really fueled by a big life event going on in the life of the secret house uh, right now. So I'll share a little bit more about that in a moment. But then secondly, I want to ask you also if you could help me process through uh, a piece of baggage. And there's, there's a lot of baggage <laughs> from my evangelical Christian upbringing that I think is really uh, holding me back in this current season of life. And it's a something that came up in a conversation with my wife. And I thought that you would be the perfect person to kind of add some perspective. So I want to ask you these questions because I think you're going to be able to help me, but I also think it's going to help our listeners because I think they're going to relate to uh, what, what we're talking about as well. So that sound good to you? Sounds great. Yeah. All right. So are you ready to come into my mind, Stephanie? You might want to wear a helmet. We don't know what we're going to find in there. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. So uh, first let's talk about uh, mindful living. And I want to give you a little bit of context for my question for for your sake and also for, for our listeners, but I'm on this journey to become a more mindful person. That might not even be the best word. I'm not sure. So you can correct me if, that, if there's a better one, but I'm kind of working to become this person who 
is mindfully living in the present moment and trying to you know, soak them in and just really be present like in this, like right here, right now, not in the past, not in the future, but living in the, the giggles of my five-year-old who recently I started laughing like SpongeBob for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but mm-hmm. you know, and in, in then in those, those giggles, once you just like uncontrollably laugh, so being present in that, her preparation for kindergarten, uh, in this conversation with you, moments with my family. And I, I feel like I struggle with that a lot, especially recently, because number one, like as much as I want to live in the moments, I struggle to, I struggle with knowing I'm going to have to let those moments go. Because I know that like the second they pass, now they're in the past, like they're, they're not going to be there anymore. And so I find myself wanting to cling to the moment that I'm in, which ultimately makes it difficult for me to be fully present in the moment, because I'm not really thinking about the moment I'm thinking about it's going to be gone. And I'm going to be sad and all these different things. And then secondly, as much as I want to live in, in the moment, I also struggle to know that as that moment passes, tomorrow's moments, like whatever those moments might be, uh, they're going to bring changes. And although those changes are going to be good for the most part, it'll ev- inevitably mean that there's going to be the end to something that I really love and, and enjoy today. And so I find myself feeling really resistant to the future moments, which again, makes it difficult to live and be present in, in, in the moment. So example, my daughter, like I said, is going to kindergarten and she's starting in just, I mean, next week is orientation. And then it's like two weeks after that or one week after that, I'm not sure, but this is like fueling all of my anxiety right now. And so as, as summer is winding down, it's like her last summer before school starts, you know, playing on the swings. We go for a walk every morning, going to the park. We paint pictures in the afternoon, watch cartoons. And, and I find myself in these moments, like I'm trying to soak them in, but I'm consumed with knowing that once kindergarten starts, like these things are not going to happen anymore in the way that they always do. And so I, I, these moments that I, I love so much, it's like they're, they're going to be in the past and the moments of tomorrow with kindergarten, they're going to be good, but they're going to bring so many things that are going to steal. I feel like steal and, ch- and steal things that I cherish and I love so much today. And so I guess all of that is my question is how can we, and I say we, because I assume I'm not the only person in the universe who struggles with this, although sometimes I feel like I am, but how can we be mindful of, of these moments and live in the moments fully present when our mind or hearts, whatever, are grieving that these present moments are soon going to be in the past and that tomorrow's moments will bring radical changes to our lives that might be good, but it's going to cause us to miss the things that we love today. So if any of that makes any sense, Sebene, yeah, I'm, ready, it, I'm ready for your wisdom. <laughs> it, it all makes sense. And um, there's so much there. So I, yeah. I want to... Um, I was tracking to not um, forget any of it uh, because there's there's a lot to respond to. So I think the very first thing I want to respond to is just um, acknowledging your your already present capacity to be with your experience because you were describing so many moments where you are really present. And so just checking for any kind of... Um, perfectionism or, you know, constant self-criticism or (laughs) for a lot of us, self-flagellation that we get into that we're not meeting up to some idea. And it really is an idea 
of mm-hmm. some standard we have of those beings that are perfectly mindful in every moment and savoring every experience of life. And that's going to lead to some kind of exalted state and yep. just throw that out, you know, yeah. <laughs> and just really acknowledge like how well you're doing in the exact task that you set yourself out for, you know, this aspiration, you have to be more present for your daughter and for your life and family and for everything that's going on is already happening. And that um, what we pay attention to grows. And so paying attention to the fact that it's already happening actually grows it rather than paying attention to some lack, which is inevitable. No one Mm. is going to be perfectly mindful in every moment. And then you start noticing all the times you're not mindful instead of the times that you are. That's really good. Does that resonate for you? Yeah. And I think that you, you really struck a chord with the, the piece about like, you know, I could always be doing better because that's always, that's the voice in my head ever since I was a kid is that you could always be doing more. And I think a lot of that comes from what I'll touch on later about the evangelical upbringing, because in that culture and that tribe that I was in, it was always about, you could be doing so much more. And like, if there's something going wrong with your life, or you're not, you don't feel like you're where you want to be. It's because you're not praying enough or because you're not reading your Bible enough. You're not doing, there's something that you're not doing that's causing you to feel the way that you feel. And so I always feel like in those moments, like when I'm with my daughter and I'm, you know, lost in the fact that like, you know, the, this moment's going to be passing. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing that. You're stupid. You should be more present in the moment, you know? And so then I immediately go to that. Let's beat myself up because I'm not being good enough. So when you, when you say that, like, just get that out of your head is a very helpful thing for me. Yeah. And, you know, I love this quote from Krishnamurti, who is an Indian philosopher, um, spiritual, master and he Mm. said you think you're thinking your thoughts you're not you're thinking the culture's thoughts Mm. and so when we start noticing especially these problematic thoughts that we have that are leading to any form of unhappiness or suffering just kind of check in and say whose voice is that Mm. is that is that really me or is it something from the overculture or from you know the dominant culture that's telling us that we're less than all the time and especially those of us who are really trying you know we have positive aspirations we're working on ourselves we really committed to a path of some sort of waking up sure. when we're beating ourselves up it's usually some voice that we've you know as you very obviously done work to identify is Mm -hmm. is coming from some kind of conditioning or patterning from probably structures and from um you know systems that are not very beneficial for us any longer yeah no that's that's really that's really important i i've come to that awareness really through this podcast we're like 200 and some episodes in but before i started this way way back when when i was still sort of had like one foot in the evangelical world and one foot out. One of the things I'd always wrestled with, like I said, is this feeling of self-doubt and this this voice in my head that says, no, you're not good enough. You know, you could be doing more. And growing up in school and then Bible college seminary, the, I was told that this voice inside was a demon. And so you have to do everything you can to get rid of this demon. You know, we're going to pray it out of you. We're going to anoint with oil, all this stuff. We're going to yell at it, whatever we need to do to make it go away. And then I came to realize through conversations with various guests who 
come from different walks of life than I do, you know, help me identify that like that, that's a voice inside of like an inner child type thing who is repeating back to you and parroting back to you things that he heard when he was younger or things he was made to feel when he was younger. And so the idea isn't to cast that voice out. You've cast that voice out all of your life. You know, you need to kind of take that voice on your knee and speak to it and uh, help it feel, help it, help it be the child it was never allowed to be, I guess you could say, um, when it was younger. And so how that's like another piece that's mixed in here as well, you know, that I'm trying to really wrestle with, because like you said, that structure that I came from, although it might've been helpful in some extent when I needed it, when I was younger, I feel like now I've outgrown that structure. It just doesn't help me. Yeah. And that's, you know, we all have some patterning and some deep conditioning, whether it comes from our family or religious communities or society at large, but that's some deep conditioning you have. And so to really untangle that and tease it apart as you're doing, um, I'm sure you'll start to attach it to this, to certain tendencies you have, um, even when you're starting to really decondition and practice being more mindful and having more compassion and those voices will still sleep in. And they do, I mean, I've been practicing for decades and I still have those things come up and part of the, you know, kind of advanced practice is to also then not criticize that like, Oh, why do I still have these voices? I've been working so hard at it. And um, so much of it is just coming back with this really open awareness that just allows things to come up and, and leave the, 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 the more we bring this sort of unconditional allowing to whatever is there, just recognizing it as part of our patterning and we have it, whether it's, it's comes, um, you know, even ancestrally, mm. we now know that there's epigenetic trauma, that mm. things are handed down actual emotional states and psychological conditions. And so those voices are patternings. They're, they're not something that, um, is happening to us because we're bad or we've done something wrong or, you know, we haven't figured it all out yet. They're an ongoing process. And the more we can just kind of relate to them with this gentle awareness that's allowing and also can let go, mm-hmm. which is a really important part of it, you know, the least, the less they're going to trouble us, um, whether they're there or not, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's really good. Do you have any like insight into, um, like even for myself, but even for our listeners who are really thinking about this idea of mindfulness, like, is there, is there, do you have any recommendations for somebody getting started in kind of the world of meditation and mindfulness, like where they can begin? Because I feel like there's so many things to go to these days, especially like if you put in mindfulness in Google, thousands of things pop up. There's different apps, there's different books, things like that. But like for somebody who just wants to start some kind of a practice to be more mindful in their life, like where, where would they begin? Well, yeah, to track back to your original question, one of the things um, you asked is, is mindfulness even the right word? And I would argue, no, Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a convenient word. It's become Mm -hmm. the most popular word. It's a buzzword. (laughs) It's a buzzword. It's translated from um, an ancient language uh, called Pali that's related to Sanskrit. So an Indian language Mm -hmm. comes from Buddhist texts. That's what the word that we're using when we say mindful, when we say mindfulness meditation, it comes from these 
2,600 year old teachings mm. about mindfulness. That's what we translated it as. Mm. Um, the word itself, sati, S-A-T-I, has many meanings and it has many connotations as often ancient languages do. Mm. And one of its connotations is to remember. Hmm. Um, it also, in the teachings on mindfulness, there's a huge, huge emphasis on the body. Actually, it's the first foundation is the body. Hmm. So there's, um, you know, there's some benefit to mindfulness because it's a word that we've gotten used to, to understand, hmm. you know, most people understand mindfulness is paying attention and that's an aspect of the practice of mindfulness. Hmm. But I, I like to use a kind of clunky phrase called embodied awareness. Hmm. And for me, that encapsulates more fully what mindfulness is really about. Hmm. Because mindfulness, when we hear it as Westerners, we think it's about the head, we think it's about the brain, we think it's about thinking and the mind. But really mindfulness is a practice and the, the practice of meditation, mindfulness meditation, you know, helps us learn how to do it is really an embodied awareness, which means that we're aware of all of our senses mm. and we're aware of our full experience. You know, often when we think of paying attention to our experience mindfully, we're just kind of, we have almost like a picture Mm -hmm. of an experience in mind, we're not necessarily feeling or sensing the experience. And we're mm -hmm. very eyeball focused, like our eyes are our strongest senses. If, mm -hmm. if we're, if we see, uh, obviously, if we don't have the capacity of sight, there are other senses that come into play there. But for the majority of us, and our culture really emphasizes seeing it even becomes like the metaphor we use for so much of like even insight or seeing clearly and um, embodied awareness is much more about having a like full sensory experience of what's happening. Mm. And that's what we're really training. We're training our capacity to be fully present. So when you're with your daughter, you're hearing her laughter, you're feeling her touch, mm. you're, you know, really bodily enjoying the sensation of the sun on your bodies as you're riding your bikes or playing in the water or whatever it may be. And that part can get left out even of many um, uh, mindfulness uh, practices that are you know, promoted or are out there. There isn't really this attention to the fact that we're talking about a full sensory experience of life. And so mm. for someone who's just starting out, I would really recommend to find um, resources and techniques. MBSR is a great one, mindfulness-based stress reduction, because it does tend to uh, emphasize more of a whole sensory experience. Mm -hmm. um, John Kabat-Zinn, who, who was the founder of MBSR, I think even one of his books is, is called Coming to Our Senses or Coming Back to Our Senses or something like that. So that whole sensory experience is a really important place to start. Mm. It's almost like you have to get out of your head, right? Because it's yes. Yeah. Which is important for me because I live in my head, like as an introvert, like I just live in my head. And so like in those moments with my daughter, I'm in my head and I'm just thinking, how can I get out of my head? But to you hear you say that it's about, you know, even feeling the sunshine on your face when you're with her, when you're playing in the sandbox, like feeling the sand in your fingers, like those are help. Those are things that can help you become grounded and aware, I guess, of the moment that you're in. Yes. And, you know, um, 
some of us have a stronger tendency toward our head. And I would argue even those of us who are naturally more tuned into, let's say our heart or our body, um, it's trained out of us by this culture because this mm. culture, just by the nature of schooling, you know, it starts so young, we're all forced into our heads. Yeah. And unless you're an athlete or, you know, a dancer or a small percentage of the population that's rewarded and actually paid for their bodily connection, mm. pretty much everyone else is only um, rewarded really for being in their head. Yeah. Yeah. We're literally graded on it. Right. Yeah. That's true. Even when you get into the workforce, it's all about what you can produce from your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it becomes, um, you know, a real kind of deconditioning from a dominant pattern that all of us are living in under. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's very liberating Mm -hmm. to get out of it and to get out of it together. And that's why so many people even seek, intoxication Mm. to do that, you know, to like dance together, to, to be in communion together, not just through our heads. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it takes practice and that's why it's called practice, Mm. but the goal is not to become a good meditator. Mm. You know, the goal is not to like, just be able to close your eyes and go inwards and pay attention. Mm. The goal is to be able to practice that on your own for how, however long it takes and small doses are, are fine mm-hmm. so that you can better do it in your life. Right. Yeah. So it's not about meditating hours and hours a day. It's mm-hmm. really about, can you bring that sense of a full embodied awareness into eating your lunch or washing the dishes or walking down the street or spending time with your family? I think that's what makes it so hard for me, and I think for a lot of people is that there's no, it's like, I want to know, how do I know I'm doing good? <laughs> you know, Cause that's like, that's what we've been, you know, that's what we've been graded on things. You know, like, how do I know that I'm, I'm getting it? How do I know that it's, you know, that I'm becoming, that this is making a difference in my life. And like you said, it's about, it's not about being able to sit for 10 minutes or an hour or whatever and go into this zone, but it's about, I guess, recognizing that difference in your life when you're with your family. And I think that when your family begins to notice the difference in you as well and being more present, maybe not as distracted and things like that. So it's, it's hard to know, like, if you're, what's the measuring rod (laughs) when it comes to meditation and, and, and this, you know, uh, embodied awareness that you spoke about. Well, the measuring rod really, because, um, you know, you're building this embodied awareness Mm -hmm. for the purpose of freedom Mm -hmm. and liberation. So, you know, mindfulness just in terms of a clinical paying attention Mm -hmm. is not the point. Mm -hmm. That's actually not the mindfulness that's described in these ancient texts. That's just Mm -hmm. paying attention. Mm -hmm. But uh, a mindfulness or an embodied awareness that actually leads to less suffering, that that's really the point of the practice. And that's what we are trying to do when we meditate and Mm -hmm. formally practice. We're just trying to notice, you know, when am I feeling suffering? Like, when am I beating myself for for what's going on or, you know, getting um, distracted is going to happen. Like Mm -hmm. your, your practice is not going well because you're less distracted. Mm -hmm. Your practice is going well because even when you get distracted, it doesn't throw you off completely. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so um, Joseph Goldstein, who is a teacher of mine and many people, he um, first time, I, he, I think it, he was the first person I heard say this, that the practice is not about what's happening, but our relationship to it. Mm. So that's true for life as well, right? So your daughter will go to kindergarten and then she'll go to elementary school and middle school and high school and there will be continued changes and yeah. gains and losses and um, there'll be highs and lows and that's the nature of life. Mm. And so it's not about everything from now on going well, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, that's living in some kind of fantasy or denial. Mm. Um, but it's certainly not about everything being bad, right? Everything sure. being a loss or an upset. And so finding that kind of balance, equilibrium, um, sense of just okayness yeah. with the nature of life, um, that really is the, the purpose of this practice and the purpose of mindfulness. So to kind of go back again to your first question, it's like, yes, you will have losses and, you know, you will lose what was today and you will gain what's tomorrow only to be lost by the next day. Mm -hmm. And that's just the nature of life. And, yeah. um, being able to be okay with that is, you know, it's our biggest spiritual learning. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. I've been reading, um, sure you've heard of Thich Nhat Hanh and his, his work. Um, but I've been reading, I think it's called no, no death, no fear. I think it's called. And um, he has this really kind of helpful piece that I think really ties into a lot of this that's really got me thinking uh, recently where he says uh, happiness or joy or whatever can arrive from many different directions. And he says that when we insist that it can only arrive from one direction, that's when we miss out on all these other opportunities that mm. we have to be happy. Mm. And that made me think a lot about things that you're saying and just tying it into my daughter going to kindergarten. Like if I have this idea, I can only be happy if she's home. I can only be happy if we're doing the things we've always done. Then I'm going to painting my nails. She painted my nails. You can see so <laughs> like cute. If, if I can only be happy in those moments, then I'm going to miss out on all the other ways that life is going to bring happiness to us as she grows and as she evolves and as she changes and things like that. So it's almost like honoring the past, honoring the moment that I'm in and the moments that have gone by, but recognizing with excitement that there's new things that are to come and they're going to bring happiness with them as well. Sadness and there'll be happiness. Yeah. And those, uh, you know, the Taoist phrase, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows, that that's the nature of life. And um, this culture actually talking about patterning and conditioning, we're only trained to to believe that the good is, is what's commendable or, you know, some unreal idea of always success, always happiness, always growth. Yeah. And that kind of culture that denies death, that denies illness, that denies old age, you know, this cult of youth, this cult of health, this cult of um, perpetual happiness, mm -hmm. it really sets us up for, for a lot of misery. Yeah. And I think it's, it, you know, when, when it goes back into everything I talked about before with my upbringing, I think that all just gets really, that really gets tied in there with the religion piece um, and things like that. So anyway, but that's a good segue into our, my second question that I have for you. Um, it's about my evangelical upbringing. And there's this very specific idea that has been 
like drilled into my head since I was a kid. And I really feel like it's holding me back today. So again, since some background, but my wife was on my case in a good way, not, not in a bad way. She was on my case to uh, take better care of myself, like mentally and emotionally by, by doing things for myself, like things that I enjoy doing. Like that just shouldn't seem like rocket science, but to me it is like general self-care. Like, you know, I, I like to go to the bookstore and look around and grab a coffee and read or write in my journal, whatever I could, could like live at Barnes and Noble if, if I could. And, uh, you know, I like to play video games. And like I said before, I'm an introvert and I, I love that alone time kind of away from people. And as much as I love the podcast and love the work I do as an introvert, it can be very draining to kind of put myself in situations where I have to be more uh, extroverted, whether they be physical, virtual, whatever. But I struggle to do things for myself because I feel this extreme pressure to put everybody else first. Like my daughter's got to be first. My wife's got to be first. My family's got to be first. The work I do, uh, you know, for different people, that has to be first. My friends have to be first. I have to do, 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 do for everybody else, which doesn't maybe seem like it's super problematic until I say that I always feel really bad about doing things for myself. Like I, I feel like I always have to put myself last, which leaves zero time for myself and zero time for me to do any of the things that would bring me kind of a sense of vitality, a sense of, of life, like a breath of fresh air. And I've been trying to like process, like, why, why do I feel this way? Like I see other people not uh, kind of living their life like this. Like, well, why is it, why, why is this a struggle for me? Like, why is it hard for me to do things for myself? And as I was thinking about it, my soul, my spirit, God, whatever you want to say, reminded me that one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized was where Jesus uh, said that in the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first will be last. And along with that verse at a very young age, because I went to private Christian school uh, starting in the fourth grade, so very young, one of the first things I learned and this teaching came that, that God expects me to put myself last, you know, to always put other people before myself, uh, even if it makes me miserable, even if it negatively impacts my life. Like who cares? Because it's another jewel in my crown when I get to heaven. And I no longer believe that. Like I've I feel like I've divorced myself from that, that teaching or that idea. And I love those words of Jesus, but I see them very differently now. But the, the effects of that teaching obviously still linger in my life in a very strong way. And so, so much so that, like I, I, like I said, I feel guilty doing anything for myself. And so I feel like, you know, I could be doing something. Like maybe I go to the bookstore. And I, I did this a few weeks ago. I went to the bookstore and literally seven, while I was in the bookstore, I was thinking to myself, I'm missing a moment with my daughter. I'm missing a moment with my wife. I should be, I should be home. I should be doing more. And again, going back to what we said before, I should be doing more than I'm doing right now. And I feel like that's really holding me back in this season of my life because like, how can I possibly be the best version of myself and be fully like present in these moments if I'm rarely taking the time to have a few moments to, to myself? So my question with that story in mind, and I think our, our listeners will will find this uh, kind of this discussion helpful is that when we begin to realize that like a deeply rooted religious teaching, something we've been taught since we were kids, is maybe negatively impacting the way we live our lives, negative impacting our mental health, whatever it might be, what, what can we begin to do? Like, how do we begin to untangle ourselves from these deeply rooted things that have come to us from like multiple sources? Because like I said, I went to private Christian school, 
Bible college, seminary. And although the teaching wasn't that overt in all of those situations, it certainly was an underlying theme that, you know, you always should put other people before yourself and you should always put yourself last. And uh, that's a good thing to do in God's eyes. So again, how do we begin to untangle ourselves from whatever teaching it might be that we find deeply rooted um, in our hearts and our lives? Yeah, that's really, um, it's really deep. And um, I might be the wrong person to ask because I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying, or maybe I'm the right person to ask. We can commiserate um, together. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that's really, and you you named it as well, you pointed out is that, you know, how can we be there for others if we haven't taken care of ourselves? And yeah. for me, I've really, I've had to get sick multiple times, including just a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was still sick through the fall and the winter um, of this year. So um, it's, it's a lesson I have to learn over and over again to not overextend myself and deplete my energy to the point where I'm not functional. Like my, my body really falls apart and, Mm. and how can I be of service to my family, my friends, the world, you know, to, to my purpose and mission in this life, Mm -hmm. if I'm not even healthy or capable. And so I I'm an extreme example, but I think all of us could really benefit from understanding that it's not about putting ourselves first. It's about taking care of ourselves so that we're present for the things that we want to do in this life. Mm. And we, we can't be our best selves if we don't fill up our own cups, you know, Mm. if we don't um, take care, I imagine you're much more able to be with your daughter and be there for your family when you feel fulfilled and when you feel inspired and, you know, when you feel rested and encouraged. And I, I really identify, I'm a big hermit. And it took me so much of my life to understand that because mm-hmm. I'm also a social person. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a social introvert yeah. and I need massive amounts of time by myself in order to function well in the things that I do in the world, which involve a lot of people teaching. Right. I just came back from teaching two retreats and I was fully able to be present for those two retreats because I, I really, um, sandwich those retreats between a lot of alone time, you know, and both preparation time and recovery time. And that's, that's just something that we have to start to understand about ourselves. And what comes up for me, as you were speaking about sort of these religious teachings, it's not just evangelical, evangelical Christianism, Christianity, or, um, you know, sort of, um, denominations or communities that we see negatively maybe that do that it's not just these extremes but even just in buddhism for example which you know seems fairly benign as a community there can be a tendency for um, everyone to be expected to behave the same way or practice in the same way Mm -hmm. and we're all really different Like I can no longer do retreats where I have to wake up at five in the morning to be ready for a practice at five 30 and go all day from one practice to another until 10 o'clock at night. Like there's no way, like my body can't handle one that schedule, but two, just being around that many people for that long at that intensity. And I've learned that I have to go to 
retreat centers and practice spaces that allow me to practice on my own schedule by myself, <laughs> you know, choosing when I want to practice with the group or not. And there are places that I can do that. And so, you know, really learning about ourselves and what our needs are and how we differ and that uniqueness it goes against a lot of religious teachings, which tend to subscribe these kind of blanket practices and these um, uniform um, prescriptions for everyone. And I just think that doesn't really work anymore. You know, it may have worked in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, or maybe it never worked and people mm -hmm. were just suffering through it, but we're each so unique. And I think really tuning into what feeds each one of us and um, and what doesn't is really important. Yeah. And no, I think that's a, that's a really important point. I think I, I've, I've come to understand that like a lot of people, just because you didn't grow up like in an evangelical Christian world, like I did, doesn't mean that there's not fundamentalism, so to speak in other areas. Cause I've, I've talked to people who grew up in like vastly different religious settings or no religious settings at all but they might be describing the very same thing that I just described because it was drilled in their head as well, but from a, from a much different um, standpoint. But I, I like what you said about kind of coming to understand yourself and how you operate and what you need in order to fully function in the world. And, and you're correct. Like there's times when I'm, I'm home and my wife will say, you just need to go out <laughs> of the house, you know, like you just need to go away for a little while and go do something for yourself. Because, you know, when you come back, you'll feel much more, like present in your mind uh, to be able to kind of function with the craziness of our daughter, you know, running around the house, like before having, well, having dinner because she's hangry because she's hungry and she's angry at the same time. And so, you know, it's just like, just go out of the house for a little while, gather yourself and then, you know, then come back. And every time I do it, I feel so much better. So I think I just have so to So what's of, the, what's the resistance? Like if every time you feel so much better, is yeah. there some idea that you should be different? There is, and that, that's, the, that's the idea is that I shouldn't be doing this because I should be putting other people first. Like it's, it's I, sh I should never, I shouldn't take time for myself because that's time I'm taking away from somebody else. Like I was even thinking today when I was a pastor at a church, it was, it was this, this idea was so ingrained into like the system that the office phone that I had in my office in the church, they had a line from that office going into my house so it was in the living room so the idea was that whenever that phone rings in the office you need to hear it so when you're home in your living room doing whatever when the phone rings you pick it up because it could be somebody who's in need so again like just that idea that was ingrained into me that other people's lives or situations are much more important than mine and even if I'm doing something to take care of myself that time should be interrupted the phone should ring because I should be able to be available like that for somebody else because their needs are much more important than mine. And so it's like such a weird, like looking back at it, like a bird's eye view, I'm like, that's just such a ridiculous thing to think <laughs> for whatever reason, it's like ingrained in my mind. And I think that that's really the root of where it came from. It sounds to me too, that there's, there's like, um, uh, there's also, it sounds like there's kind of a hierarchy that those who are more available, it's like more preferred. Yes. Like it would be better if you had that kind of structure, like yeah. if that, if that's how you were yeah. rather than really recognizing like the beauty of your unique structure, you know, that you, 
there's probably no way you could create this podcast and, you know, give to others what you have to offer if you didn't kind of have time on your own to be inspired and read and check out things in the bookstore, listen to other podcasts, take a walk and listen to something that inspires you. And sort of that's your purpose, right? That's your sole purpose. Someone else's sole purpose is maybe to sit by that phone 24 seven and they're, they were designed, right. you know, like their actual structure as a human being was designed for that. And that's what they have to offer. Mm. But it's almost like you're denying yourself your unique gift because mm. you're trying to fit into the structure that you were programmed to think you should have. Yeah, and that's that's spot. I didn't think of that. I mean, that's spot on because it's to your, to your point, like the ideas, the ideas don't come when I force them to come. You know, the ideas don't come when I'm constantly putting something in front of me to do uh for myself or for somebody else whatever but it comes when I do to when I withdraw kind of and I take that time for myself in a book or to go for a walk or to sit with a cup of coffee and just mingle and and think and those are when the ideas come and I, I never I never made that connection that that's that's what gives fuel to my sole purpose that's that's really helpful thank you yeah Awesome. Well, seven, eight, we are just about out of time, but as, as I knew, as I predicted, I knew this was going to be a really helpful conversation. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time again to join me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, is there real quick, any particular piece of your work that you want to point our listeners to today? I know you have your newsletter that I'm signed up for. Do you want to make anybody aware of anything that they can go to get their hands on? Yeah, that's my main way of staying in touch with people. I'm on Instagram, but I tend not to share there as personally as I've been doing in my newsletter lately. And it's not a newsletter that I'm just promoting stuff. I actually almost never promote stuff. (laughs) Um, It's really just a piece of writing and um, what I'm thinking about and what I'm exploring and hopefully inspiring other people through that. I love it. Well, I will put the link to it in the show notes and uh, maybe we can do this again sometime later. Sounds great. Thanks, Ebony. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wish I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, most beat, I'm a chest. Wish for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride to this beat. Need everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. 
term Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it, uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fall. We got our hands up, ready for box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love.